On this week's prequel episode, we follow up on our Never Let Me Go listener polls and preview Beastly. Hello and welcome back to this film. This is the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's another prequel week. We got so much feedback and lots of lengthy feedback. People had lots to say about Never Let Me Go. So we do not have a learning thing segment this week because it got, again, thank you all so much for, for giving us all your feedback. But we're going to get right into it first before that with our patron shout outs. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons. That's why. We have one new patron this week at the $5 Hugo Award winning level. Kathleen Byrne. Thank you, Kathleen, for jumping on and supporting us. We really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy that bonus content. And as always, our Academy Award winners are Harpo Rat, Nathan B., Vic Hammer, Matilde, Steve from Arizona, Paul, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby says, oh, right, the feedback, the feedback for TFIL, the feedback written specifically for TFIL, TFIL's feedback. That darn skag, V. Frank, and Alina Starkov. Thank you all very much for your continued support. We really appreciate it. It's now time to hear what the people had to say about Never Let Me Go. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. On Patreon, we had two votes for the book and one for the movie. Kelly Napier said, It's been a week now since I finished the book and watched the movie, and despite sitting with it for that time and listening to the episode, I'm still struggling to put my thoughts about the properties into words. While I enjoyed both the book and the movie, they made me incredibly uncomfortable. The fact that we as an audience know that the world isn't exactly like our world, but there being no real obvious signs of that being the case made it always feel kind of creepy to me. It's our world. It looks like our world. The people largely behave like they do in our world. But it's not our world. The only difference in this world is the unquestioned clone donation system. I'm used to dystopian works that look like the world has gone to shit and to have the main character fighting against the system. I'm struggling to reconcile the fact that the world is seemingly the same and the main character, along with everyone else, isn't fighting against anything. They've just accepted that this is how it is. Yes, they went to Madame for the deferral, but I feel like Kathy always knew somehow that this wasn't a real thing. I have a few possibly unanswerable questions about the cloning process. Is a clone real quick? Wait. Sorry, I, I I'm going to jump in because this is a really long comment. I don't yeah. want to try to like go back. I, I was trying to like make sure we got to the end of like a point or whatever before I jumped in. But um, I agree. I think that I think it's very much, and I think Kelly would agree with this that it's very much the point that it, that it feels so uncomfortable yeah. and kind of strange, and and the fact that it is so close to our world, but just like just this weird thing, yeah, is kind of a big part of what the story is doing, uh, and I think it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. Um, I don't know, you know, it depends. I guess it depends on what Kelly means by uncomfortable, but I think that is the goal that the book is going is and the movie are going for, at least to some extent. So sounds like it succeeded. Um, Kelly also said, I have a few possibly unanswerable questions about the cloning process. Me too, Kelly. <laughs> is a clone only able to donate to their original? If that's the case, then this alternate world is actually behind our own despite the cloning technology. So 
I, I'm trying to figure out if this is a good place to jump in on this or not, because I know the next parts kind of also relate to this. But I, I, I think it's very much the case not that they can only donate to the people. I agree, because I thought initially, like when I first started reading the book, I thought that that was the setup. Yes. Was that like if you were wealthy enough, yes. you had a clone made yes. so that you could harvest their organs that as you age. exactly what I thought But as I well. don't think that's the no, case. No, based on assuming that uh, what... Uh, um, Ruth freaks out about it and says yeah. it's true about how their their clones are from yes. undesirable people or whatever you however you want to classify it and that cuz she says like they're never somebody like that it's never like you know a nice lady who lives in an office or whatever cuz I thought the same thing that I thought that was going to be the premise that they are like yeah. clones of people rich enough to be able to have clones made of themselves to harvest the organs right. from but seemingly within this universe it is not that yes. seemingly yeah and I had a really dark thought about that, too. I feel like we thought that because we were approaching it from the perspective of Americans. That's very possible. Yeah. Yeah. The the fact that, yeah, the, the health care, this kind of health care yeah. would only uh, be yes, available to the richest people. Yes, this kind of health care would absolutely only be able available to and, the richest of people. And here. I think that is still the case in the book or in, Probably, in the story. Yeah. It's just that it's they they get them from whoever like right. the clones are of whoever it doesn't really matter i, I assume they, they probably have to you know be like a the same blood type or whatever like similar same sure. same kind of ideas yeah. as like trans organ transplants in our world um but yeah because i i thought the same thing yeah initially and then when they revealed no they're you know they're vagrants or whatever however they're they're made from uh clones are of like disposable disposable people, people. So i was like speak. oh that's interesting that's not what i was expecting yeah um, so, yeah, Kelly went on to say, if a clone is truly a clone that is only able to donate their, to their original, wouldn't the clones also have whatever genetic predispositions to disease their original had? What's the point of having someone who's able to donate an organ to you if that clone's organs will have the same problems you have? And again, I think that's the fact that, yeah, yeah it's not <laughs> you're not the person or it's not the although there's lots of reasons that you could need organs that aren't just specifically the gen like a genetic condition that your like clone could have it's like mm -hmm. even if we if it was a world where like they they could only donate to the people they were clones of um there's lots of things you could have happen where you would still right. need you know an organ donation or whatever that isn't like a genetic condition now that would be more of an issue it would create more issues like yeah there would be you you the clones would you imagine have some sort of predisposition to certain things but i would also imagine maybe they can like turn off some of that i would think so because there's also there's like a, a not a side plot even but there's a, a a thing mentioned in the book like a background story when they're talking to madame and miss emily and they talk about i don't even remember what they called it now but it was this scandal that like started the downfall of Hailsham and like places like Hailsham where there was this other scientist who was experimenting with like um like uh, designer like clones people, yeah. yeah um and there was this big scandal about it so i would assume that in this world they probably do have the technology to make sure that the clones don't have yeah whatever predispositions to like diseases or yeah. whatnot yeah that their originals might have yeah uh, Kelly also asked, is the population completely overrun in the countries where this technology is being implemented? Since people are living longer because of the clones and there's all the clones, wouldn't the population density just be insane? I would think so. Well, so I, I was going to 
read the next two questions yeah. and then I'll chime um, in. Does everyone have a clone or only people who have enough money to pay for one? So that's where I think that maybe any sort of issues about like overpopulation or whatever would be less of an issue or would be resolved within this universe of the story is that it's probably only the richest people that are able to do this. And in which case there wouldn't be, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, you're not extending the life of 90% of the population. Right. You're extending the life of 3% of the population right. or something like that to the point where it's, yes, there's maybe more people, but it's not like out of control. Like, you know, you don't have everybody living for an extra 30 40 years you have three percent of the population yeah. living for it to the point where it just wouldn't be that big of a deal i think probably yeah maybe i don't know what do you mean well i mean I, yeah it makes sense that and i think you're probably right that this is something that would be only available to like the wealthiest people but then also i feel like in universe there might be more resistance to it if most of the population can't that's, access this okay. anyway. That's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not something that's like, because I mean, and yes. And obviously you're always going to have your people who are like, well, I might be a billionaire someday. Yeah. Right. So this is still good, but. Well, I, I think actually now I think about it, I think the most important thing is it's actually, it's probably not an issue because they're not actually expending lives by that much. Isn't it like they said like a hundred or something like, like I think I think the movie was vague, and I don't. I thought the movie had a thing at the beginning that yes, said it said like over a hundred years or something, which to like me that. implies like a, a marginal. To me, I don't think where people are living for five hundred years. I think right. people are living for a hundred and ten years, which would cause issues. But I don't think it would be that like if every single person was living to be 110 it would cause some issues probably but i don't think it would be as much of an issue if people were living to be like 300 or something right. you know what i mean yeah. i guess that that marginal increase isn't um which is also i think a thing that makes it more horrifying is that you're really you know it's not like you're adding like a right. huge amount of value to the lives of the you're like extending their life by like 20 years yeah or you something. get another 20 years of being ancient yeah you would because think, it doesn't yeah. like I mean, I guess you're, you get new organs, like your right. organs are working so, yeah. better, you but you're still, still like, a, yeah. you're still 110 years old. Right. Yeah. Like your, your quality of life is probably better than the average 110 year old, but you're still a hundred year old or whatever, yeah. but you're still, you're not, you know, yeah. running marathons and no, like, you're still like an old person. <laughs> yes. Your, your bones are frail. Yeah. Cause it, the movie doesn't seem to imply any other sort of miraculous no. like thing. This is literally just, if you have like organ failures or whatever yeah. they can yeah you, you know can get yourself, get yourself a, a, new a new heart liver, a new, liver, a new, heart, a new, whatever. new eyeballs whatever yeah huh. so yeah i i think that is another part of it is that that would that would keep the population thing from being like a major issue is that yeah we're not extending life five times its normal length it's just you yeah. know a little bit longer which again i think kind of amplifies how horrifying it is that it's which right. it's it be horrifying either way but it like at least that you know with the 500 year thing you're like well you know at least they're getting some value out of it <laughs> here it's like oh yeah you get an extra 20 right. years of being an old person like uh okay yeah <laughs> um uh, kelly also said miss lucy obviously hated the system but is there a lucy clone out there somewhere i would guess no which was Miss Lucy? Miss Lucy is the, oh, teacher the teacher who like tells them. Yeah, I don't think it just seems like the teachers aren't. Yeah, it seems like involved. probably like, not. Don't, yeah. Um, based on what we know about where the clones potentially come from and like how the system works, yeah, I would like I would it. guess not. 
And probably she wouldn't be someone that would take part in that. No. I would guess. Although who knows? Yeah. Liver starts failing. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, Kelly went on to say, why would anyone volunteer to be a carer if that doesn't exempt them from the donation process? I mean, to me, it just seems like it, it defers it. Yeah, it is the def- only it, that, seemingly yes, firm is form the of deferral. Yeah. Um, like to me, that would seem like the way to go would be like you and your your clone lover both become, become carers. carers. Yeah, because you seem to still and, be able to live and your own try life. to be like really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> so that you can both defer for as long and, as and, possible. And yeah, it doesn't seem like it buys them a ton of time, but it buys yeah. them another five. It, about the time they said the deferral was, honestly, right. which was no, like a handful seemed, of years. Yeah, it seems to buy them another like five years or so because it's implied yeah. that they start donating in like their early to mid 20s yeah because because they all are donating and they're all the same age yeah and ruth and and andrew have been donating for several years yeah and kathy doesn't start until after they're yeah they and both she died. said at the beginning of the movie she said she's 28 yeah she? i think it's like she's literally 30 when she yeah. starts donating in the story um which would mean yeah like it bought her you know five six years or something like right. that of, and i mean now obviously you have the the trauma of dealing yes. being a carer but you know for some people that that seems like kathy dealt with it pretty okay yeah like, you know if you just have that kind of personality so i think that would be the reason it's essentially like a deferral process um kelly went on to say before i get to which i choose i want to agree with your shout out to the score of the movie i love the subtlety of having solo violin cello or piano for each theme with minimal accompaniment from other instruments as a musician myself, in my mind, I assigned the cello voice to Kathy, the violin voice to Ruth, and the piano voice to Tommy. Hmm. Kudos to the composer for finding a way to make the music feel as isolating and futile as the script did. I thought a lot about which property I would vote for. I ended up picking the book, but I can't really articulate why. Both were slightly unsettling, but sadly beautiful, but I think if I had to try to put it into words... I preferred the way the book felt like the rambling way someone might reflect back on their life as they near the end of it and wondering if any choices they made along the way would have made a difference in the inevitability of their fate. Interesting. Yeah. No. Very interesting. A lot of good questions. A lot of, a lot of interesting yeah. things. To say, yeah. Lots of good questions about the uh, yeah the setup of this world. Yeah. It's definitely a lot of those are it, it and it, you know kind of falls into the like it's not important like yeah. that kind of you know and, and obviously it's important if it if it distracts you as a reader but like that is i think what you know the author would probably be like right. i'm not really worried about right because i do think you know the fact that the story is set in this world is the point but exploring the world of the story is not really the yeah, point yeah yeah so it's, it's this is the premise that i need to tell this you know yeah this, this story allegory this allegory doing. about the nature of humanity yeah yeah and so you don't really need to think too hard about how it all works. Right. Kind of like in the same way that, you know, if you start thinking too hard about like all of this stuff that and how it works in like Star Trek, you know, kind of starts to fall. <laughs> you just kind of got to go like, oh, yeah, anyway, that doesn't mean sure. it's not fun to think about. I'm just saying that like, yeah, it can be. But, you know, and it is one of those things where it is tough where sometimes those things can stack up too much where and it doesn't sound like this is the case. It sounds like Kelly still enjoyed it. But like those, those things can stack up enough where you're like, it just yeah. pulls you out and makes you unable to kind of yeah get lost in the story but yeah or if you're like me you realize halfway through reading the book that the way you thought the clone donation process worked the entire time was actually not how it worked so yeah our next comment was from nathan b who said 
definitely the book, but in hearing the discussion on the pod, I feel almost like I watched a different movie. My experience of it was so different. I loved the way the book spent so much time at Hailsham, the way that Kathy would constantly reference other events before she explained them, exactly how I act when telling a story, and really immersed me in her life, especially at Hailsham. The fact that the movie shortened things at Hailsham really felt like it was rushing things, and I felt like that extended throughout the movie. My prime example would probably be the tape in the books. I loved the narrative of Norfolk being where all lost things go. It was so interesting and emblematic of the childlike nature of Kathy and the others. I thought it kind of failed to impose Kathy's voice on the story, instead focusing on the romance between her and Tommy, which was there in the book, but to me personally, just another story in Kathy's life, and not one that I found particularly interesting. I honestly would probably have enjoyed any story told from Kathy's perspective and with her cadence, because while I can't say it was integral... Because while I can't say it was integral to the plot, I didn't really care about the sci-fi angle either. Just experiencing Kathy's meandering tale of her life was fascinating, and I needed nothing else. I will say this. It's interesting. It definitely seems like we kind of viewed the movies differently, because to me, um, your your kind of comment on the fact that uh, uh, I thought it kind of failed to impose Kathy's voice on the story, instead focusing on the romance between her and Tommy, which was there in the book, but to me, it was just another story in her life. That was how I felt in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like I, To me, the movie did not feel like the, the romance was like the main thing like it was there and it was important and it was a big part of you know her life and like what um kind of everything was going on but to me it did feel and i I guess the the movie does the you know the big climactic scene kind of makes or the the big final scene and her monologue kind of does make it a focal point but i didn't when i got done watching you know when the movie ended i wasn't thinking like wow what a great tale of like romance or, no, or like between you no, know what i mean like was I, I that yeah. wasn't like my main thing i yeah. was thinking about with the movie i was mainly thinking about kind of the whole system and kathy and and her life and the way she and oh the way they all just interact like just kind of the the way their all their relationships interplayed mm-hmm. within this universe and stuff like that so again for me i i felt my experience watching the movie was maybe closer to what nathan's experience was reading the book and and he, he did not get out of the movie it sounds like kind of what I did, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Which also, t- I wonder if part of that is just having read the book, yeah. you know, coming in with that, like the expanded world of the book then made the movie feel, you know, like it it focused in too much. Right. No, it and, did, and, and I would agree with that because and we got a couple comments on like commenting on like the, the, the romance aspect yeah. of both stories. Um, and I, I I agree that I don't think the romance was the main point of either the book or the movie. I think it feels like it a little bit more in the movie yeah. because we're cutting a lot of other stuff yeah. and the romance ends up being like a kind lot of, of what's main, left, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of. But I did feel like as I was reading it that, you know, even though it's really like a reflection on Kathy's life in general, I thought that her reflections were so colored by her relationship, her relationships with Tommy and with Ruth. Yeah. And I think that Tommy ended up looming a little bit larger, at least in my opinion, as I was reading it, because that relationship ended be ended up being like 
kind of unfinished. Yeah. Like it didn't get to run its full course, right. you know? No, I think, yeah, no, totally. I think that makes perfect sense. Um, Nathan also came back and left an, an additional comment as an addendum to his first comment and said, I am more convinced than ever that I misunderstood the movie. I found Andrew Garfield to be overwrought and uninspiring, and I totally missed the visual warmth of the film. I should probably give it another viewing because I truly feel like I didn't watch the same film, and I'm not sure that I can adequately explain how different my reaction was. That's interesting. And, and you know, it, that happens. There's yeah. the, It's not uncommon to, to kind of two people to come out of a movie feeling very differently about it, but yeah. Oh, yeah, it's all just a matter of perspective. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that you never know. Like, sometimes it's just what frame of mind you're in when you watch the movie. Or, like, so many things affect, mm -hmm. like, kind of how you read and, and view a movie. And, yeah, it's you never know. Um, You know, it, I wouldn't watch it again right away. But, you know. If you Nor give would it, I. <laughs> I. You know, give it a year or two maybe and then revisit it and see what you think if you if you want to give it another try. But, yeah. Our next comment was from Shelby, who said, I've had this book on my list for a while and decided at the last minute to pick it up while you were covering it. By the time I finished reading, I was no longer interested in the movie, so I can only talk about the book. Ishiguro is a great writer. His prose is strong, and he does a fantastic job writing the complicated dynamic between Kathy, Ruth, and Tommy. They feel like real people. The world he's built is bleak and fascinating, and overall, I liked his examination of the ideas. However, I had two big issues with the book. The first is that I never bought either side of this love triangle. I buy Ruth and Tommy getting together because of their personalities, but beyond that, it felt like a messy friendship between three characters who have sex sometimes. And that's fine, except Clones in Love becomes the main idea in the second half of the book. I've said before that I don't like romances that have side characters tell us how much the pair want to be together. This book has a couple scenes of that, and boy are they doing all the heavy lifting in this love story. And I don't know why. We're in Kathy's head. We never get anything about how she feels about Tommy except when she feels bad for him when they're kids, and annoyance when he doesn't understand something. It's not like it's too private. She tells us about her struggles with dating and sex, so where is it? Then when Kathy and Tommy get together, they never talk about their relationship or how they feel. Even when they have the perfect excuse because they're planning to prove they're in love so they can get a deferral. Why don't they discuss it? It feels more like they got together because Ruth told them to. Bossy Ruth always making things happen in this book. Where is Kathy and Tommy's agency here? An author this good has to be doing this on purpose. Which leaves me with either A, because of how they're raised, they have an alien understanding of what being in love is, or B, they're not in love, but they still want a few more years together if they can get it. Neither of these have as strong an impact as if he just showed us they were in love. In short, this ending isn't the gut punch I wanted it to be, and that annoyed me. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, got, I kind of agree in the sense that, like, the movie doesn't, at least, and I can only speak from the movie's perspective, obviously, but the movie doesn't really spending a much time showing us why they should be together or like yeah. what their kind of thing is. But I also didn't feel like I needed it. I don't know how to describe it or how to explain it, but they. It just seemed like I just intuited that she cared for him a great deal and he seemed to care for her a great deal uh, and that 
they i i guess i agree that they don't seem to have like an incredibly deep romantic like mm-hmm. connection necessarily but i don't know what are your thoughts do you have i i mean i i do think that these are are valid criticisms yeah. of the book but like Shelby, I have to assume that this is something Ishiguro is doing on purpose because he's too good yeah. to not be doing it on purpose. I- so I I would be inclined to say because of the way that they yes. were raised. I, I think A is mostly yeah, correct. You know, because of the environment that they're raised within they just have like this kind of more awkward connection yeah. and maybe it maybe it's not love like we think of yeah. love yeah you know maybe it maybe it is more <clears throat> like almost like a kinship a that, kinship that, that or yeah or, or a really heightened friendship or <laughs> yeah. you know yeah it it does feel almost more like a and it, and it makes it complicated because you know they grew up together and stuff but it definitely does feel like a almost a familial relationship yeah. That becomes and then I don't want to say becomes romantic, but like Yeah, it, I think it's I think I think it is definitely A to some extent where you know the first example there of the, the way they were they were brought up and stuff that yeah, they don't have kind of a traditional like view on relationships and love and stuff that, that right. the rest of society, you know, generally kind of has. And so, yeah, they they just know they kind of like being around each other and just yeah. want to continue being around. I don't know. It's hard to describe. Right. Yeah. No, and I, and I think you could also make the argument that even though we are in Kathy's head and we're in her perspective, she she does gloss over quite a bit of things, especially when we kind of more like catch up to the present-ish, closer yeah. to the end of the book. She kind of glosses over some of the t- a lot of the time that she spends with Tommy and i wonder if what ishiguro is not doing is having her shy away from those thoughts even within her own mind because it is so painful mm. yeah that could be yeah yeah kind of recall- recalling it as it's recounted in the story yeah yeah i don't know that's interesting shelby went on to say the second issue is that I don't understand why there are multiple donations. They grow these clones for their organs. Why don't they take all the organs at once? Don't you risk damaging the ones you leave behind while they're recovering in between? I thought maybe it was because they went to the nicer school and they want to give them more time to live as humans, but it's not. The clones from the worst schools are in the same program. So this is, I think, very... I think this explainable. Is, a, is it? Do you think so? Oh, entirely. Yeah, okay, because I, I think it makes perfect sense the way they do it in the movie. And it's how you would do it in real life is that you don't need all the organs at once. Fair enough. Yeah. And yeah, we're yeah, better yeah. to keep the organs than in, than the, in, per- than in the body. Because like very famously, like it, organ donations in our world, it's you're on a list and then hopefully, you know, somebody gets in a car accident who's an organ donor or whatever. Right. And you get a call and within hours you know you're right. prepped and going, right that, yeah that's fair you can't you, you can't, can't harvest organs, organs and then just ice. like put them in the fridge you know what i mean no and that's truly <laughs> no, so that you're right you're yeah. right <laughs> so literally that is why they 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 donate them as they are needed yeah so it's it's like right. hey this person needs x 
okay, now we yeah. call somebody in, we cut their I, liver I, I, out. I mean, and then... yes, I, I agree. I do think it's a fair concern of, like, you risk damage to the other organs in the between times. But sure, but what other? I mean, otherwise you're just yeah. I guess what other? I mean, option the, yeah. The other have. option is you cut them all. You kill them on the first donation. You take all the organs out and hope you have people to give them to. And if not, then you waste them like yeah. entirely. Whereas this system, you know, they seem to survive for at least right several donations. So you get yeah. You just it's they're literally just like a living incubator for the organs. Yeah, mm. like it makes perfect sense. Like that, I don't think it's an issue with the story at all. I think that's literally how you would do it. Yeah, if this horrible, insane system existed yeah. in the real world, I don't know all that like a ton about organ donation. I guess how I had questions about how many organs you can donate and still stay alive. I mean, it depends on like, what they are. Yeah, how it's, many how many things can you take out and it's still be not taken? a lot? To be fair, it seems like mostly they're donating kidneys, which you can do. Yeah, and then so you, I think you can donate pieces of your liver. You can donate obviously your eyes. So other things like that, maybe they do skin grafts or something. Like you could do yeah. stuff like that, but yeah, anything beyond that, you get right. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Then also, why they complete after yeah. like three or four? Because yeah. you literally can't. You literally anymore. can't yeah. take. Yeah. Yep. Um, and Shelby's last little note here was one other note. The Guardian tells the kids they're created for organ harvesting because they were talking about what they want to be when they're adults. They're discussing going to Hollywood and becoming famous. The kids know what will happen to them, but they've been allowed to imagine they will have their own lives once they leave the school. She tells them point blank they will never leave the country. I remembered this as soon as I read Shelby's comment. What is this in reference? I don't know what this um, is. We're, when we were talking about why she has to tell them, like, why she tells oh, them Oh, why Miss Lucy? Blank, yeah, okay. Tells them, like, point blank. Because they were talking about what they want to be when they're adults. Or yeah. Oh, okay. Part of the problem gotcha, with, okay. like, trying to remember what happened in this book was that there are a ton of really similar scenes. Yeah. Like there were so many scenes that were very similar to this, where it's like a te like a an issue yeah. at the school and like the teacher yeah. talking to them. Yeah. Anyway, I don't think th I don't think that happened in the movie though. No, it didn't. Uh, it would have been helpful if that had been the lead into that scene. Like if they I, had been yes. talking about their futures and then she kind of snaps and it's like, no. And I wonder why would, why, yeah, why they wouldn't, wouldn't because yeah. that would have been an easy enough. You wouldn't have had to like set that up. A no, whole it could have been very minimal. Like, yeah, it's like an extra. Thirty seconds yeah. tops of of film. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, very that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Our last comment on Patreon was from Steve from Arizona, uh, the patron who requested this yes. one. And Steve said, "Thank you for choosing this book, which, when I initially read it, hit me like a bag of bricks. While I do love science fiction, there are very few Nobel-winning writers in that genre, and so reading a sci-fi adjacent novel by one of the best in the game is a special treat." I do find it strange that, with the exception of Battlefield Earth, which was a joke, all my selections, his Patreon like, uh -huh. requests, are not sci-fi. Well, are they not? They haven't I we guess done? they're not. I, I Am don't I remember. crazy that we've done several of his that were sci-fi? Man, I, I don't remember. I don't either. I can't keep track of this stuff. I am glad to hear, Steve, that Battlefield Earth was a joke yes. because that book is like a thousand pages. Oh, God, yeah. Never. Um. Uh, he said, all of my selections are not sci-fi. I hope you do the thin red line or something wicked this way comes next year. Um, 
I, I would actually love to do something wicked this way comes. The problem is that I am waiting for it to turn up on a streaming service. Yeah. It is not available to watch anywhere. Yeah. Okay. I guess it's just, I guess I just assumed all his, because we've done a lot of sci fi, and I just assume he always, we know he's a big fan of sci fi because yeah. he always talks about how much. And so I just maybe just assumed that his, his request had been some of the sci fi requests, but I guess not. That's fascinating. Sorry for uh, putting <laughs> you in a box there, Steve. <laughs> Oh, Steve went on to say, anyway, I went with the movie, mostly to be contrarian and to give it a fighting chance. Like I mentioned before, you're not going to say Alex Garland or any other screenwriter is better than Kazuo Ishiguro, but I have to say something. I mostly speak from the fact that I watched the movie first, mostly out of curiosity when it was described as a dystopian science fiction parable. The biggest early takeaway I had with the film is one of my core philosophical life choices, that being vegan. Mm -hmm. The rather nonchalant relationship the world has with the cloned students is very adjacent to chattel livestock. While you wondered where the protests might be, when was the last time you actually noticed a vegan protest or a protest in general? Well, I mean... They happen pretty often, but yeah. I I don't know. I see I see Peta doing quite a bit of stuff, and you know I I I, I don't know. I, I I see protests for that kind of stuff, you know, occasionally around on the. Internet. It's not that there's. It's not right. yeah. It's not everywhere all the time, but it's not also not like non-existent, which it seemingly is in this universe. Yes, um, or at least as we're presented, it. We're I, not I also it. I also will say, and I'm I'm not. I'm not commenting on the value of animal life over human life. Yeah. But I do think that there should be more of a response to like humans. Yeah. You would think you that would that would think, yes. yes. You know, especially because this is in, within the world of the story, a fairly recent development. Yeah. And it's not like, whereas, you know, we've been eating that, animals. That, I for, think that's a big part of it. We have been eating animals for the entirety of, of, human, of human history. Yes. You know, and this is a recent development where, you know, yes, the powers the that be years, were like, oh, we're going to start yeah. chopping up people yes. and giving their organs to you guys. Yeah. You know, even though they're clones, yeah. I would think that there would be a contingency of people who were like, yo, that's fucked yeah, up. Yeah, because I think a, a similar thing, and because I, you know, I, 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 I've mentioned it before, but I largely agree ethically with vegans, or, you know, or to some extent, um, I, I am not vegan, but I, I think largely it is cor the, the morally correct uh, position for the most part. Generally speaking, I'm very sympathetic to the ideas behind veganism and the, and the morality and the, the philosophical choice and all that sort of stuff. That being said, I do think like a comparison would be like, and because I, I think the time has a big thing to do with it, mm -hmm. and I think like a similar thing like to to kind of get it back to animals, uh, in, in his thing is like if in our world all of a sudden like, not all of a sudden but like ten years ago, um, the government was like, oh, we're gonna start just like kind of, uh, cloning your pets and and eating them, like your yeah. pets, like specifically your people's pets, you know what yeah. I mean, like just to make it a different and I like I but. And it was like this new thing or just if out of nowhere, you know, we, we had been a completely vegan society for all of yeah. history or whatever. And then, you know, 20 years ago, they're like, oh, by the way, we're just going to start raising and, and eating animals. I think people would be like, wait, what? And there would be more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that is actually a kind of a big point in terms of the 
there being a difference there without even getting into the like humans versus animals thing. I just think like, yeah, the, the, the proximity or the recency of it would be yeah. a big, bigger issue, but yeah. right. right. I, w- I would think you so. would think, yeah. Um, Steve went on to say one has to conclude the government and various corporate interests have worked together to quell dissent. In addition to this being an alternate universe during a time when media could be more easily controlled. I would agree with that. Yeah, I assume that, that has I'm, happened. I'm sure that has yeah, yeah. something to do with it in-universe. Yeah. Um, first of all, in defense of the film... I will say you don't have to defend the film. We both very much enjoyed <laughs> it. <did>. I, but <laughs> uh, And we also had... Uh, we had at least one other comment that was in defense of the film yeah. over the book. Yeah. Um, first of all, in defense of the film, I thoroughly enjoyed the fact that they had a much more condensed portion of Hailsham. Go fight Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) I felt it dragged on a little too long in the book, and I enjoyed the third section the most. I also felt Garland did a wonderful job of differentiating the character's emotional makeup. Ruth is duplicitous, Tommy is heartfelt and hopeful, and Kathy is the sponge and the glue. While I do understand the film took away some of Kathy's nuance and agency, such as having sex with various men at the cottages, or the fact that she was somewhat jaded by her work. Oh, interesting. Making her more of the emotional pincushion for the film was a welcome choice. When she's alone at the end, you really felt horrible, knowing she might die after her first donation because she absorbed so much pain and anguish. Her frailty in the film made me believe that because she knew there was nothing left to hold on to. Hopes were lies, might as well accept destiny. I also felt Tommy's portrayal in the movie was superior. He was an absolute goober for much of the book, and while they took away the somewhat triumphant portrayal of him being a three-time donor, I don't think it was entirely necessary. I do wish they had stuck with the book ending, where Kathy watches Tommy wave to her as she drives away from Tommy's center. It would have worked much better with Kathy's ending monologue in the film. Ruth, on the other hand, damn. Her death was sad in the book, but the film version brought the reality of this world Ishiguro wrote to a head. For some strange reason, I always enjoyed this strange subgenre of science fiction, that being transhumanism or body horror. Mm-hmm. From Gattaca to Repo, The Genetic Opera, Crimes of the Future, Upgrade, and even Michael Bay's The Island, which I initially thought this film was going to be a British version of that film. When I mentioned in a, we just recorded Good, Better, Bad, Bad episodes the other day, and I mentioned to Kyle that we did this, mm-hmm. and I kind of briefly mentioned mm-hmm. what the plot was he goes it sounds like the island <laughs> which i have not seen the island no. but i was aware of the premise yeah. of the island which is yeah similar like they have clones raised to like mm. for organ donation basically um, it compels me to think about what lengths we as a society would go to it's clear the story is about the stage of acceptance in that equation it's chinatown <laughs> if we say it in filmic ideals mm-hmm. Uh, what does that mean? So there's a, that to me? I've only seen Chinatown once years, I think in film school, but um, they're at the end of Chinatown, there's a whole big chaotic like crime plot. And at the end, uh, I think Jack Nicholson's character or somebody else says, no, that's Chinatown. Kind of just like a resigned, uh-huh. like, that's just how things work. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. I gotcha. Kind of looks like, yeah, that's just how, yep, it's messed up, but that's, that's Chinatown. Mm-hmm. I, and that's, I can't remember what the exact line is, but that's what he's referencing. And on a final note that makes the movie better, they don't mention the idiot named Steve, the unrequited porn addict that brought all the (laughs) pornography to the cottages. 
I like to believe the dozen or so Steves that worked on this movie, seriously, look at the credits, <laughs> stood up for their namesake and had Alex Garland remove that aspect from the script. Anyway, another great episode, and I'm glad you two got a lot out of this book and film. Fantastic. Thank you uh, for the comment and the recommendation. <laughs> Over on Facebook, we had two votes for the book and one for the movie. Steven said... I didn't see the movie when it was released, but for some reason it stuck in my head and years later I thought about it and read the book. The book was so well, well written, the sense that something is off is strong, then they fight against the horrors of their situation only for them to eventually accept their fate. The book was brutal and still haunts me to this day. I was choking up just listening to your analysis because I know how it ends in such tragedy. Just typing this is choking me up. The movie was good and extremely well acted, but maybe because I had read the book, the movie just didn't have the punch the book did. So I have to give it to the book and have recommended it to anyone who needs to have their world shaken to the core. During your discussion, you mentioned you thought there should be some hint of underground or resistance against what was happening. I think the fact that there wasn't resistance just makes the tragedy that much worse. Harvesting the clones was so accepted by everyone that it simply doesn't occur to anyone to resist. The most resistance we get are some attempts to treat the clones humanely, and even that was ultimately futile. The passive acceptance, even by the clones, made the universe that much bleaker. I agree, and I think we yeah. kind of alluded to that in the episode, I could be wrong, that that definitely felt like the point. The fact that we yes. don't see any resistance or anything is is making a point that, yes, this has just become so accepted. It's so second nature. Again, the the, the line that I really liked in the movie, you know, we were, we were um, answering a question that nobody was asking. Mm -hmm. It's that same thing of like that, yeah, there's nobody even just thinks about this. So yeah, there isn't any resistance really or anything like that. That being said, our point was just that it seems kind of unrealistic that there wouldn't yeah. be again and that's fine it, it totally works with the story it's just really a criticism necessarily it's just kind of like an observation that it seems even within this world i i find it hard to believe given the recency of this development that there would not be resistance and again just because we don't see it doesn't mean that there isn't but right. it is it is it is one of those things that just feels kind of hard to believe it's kind of like one of the things like kelly was getting at where it's just like it, it's one of those things that makes it a little bit like feel i don't know again but that is that is the point so like i get it and it it's not again not really a criticism just kind of and it, more of an observation observation and i do think that what we talked about was an interesting idea of having our characters bump against maybe and again maybe we're not i don't think we need to see or like our idea of of the resistance we saw or that you brought up wasn't even like you know an underground band of rebels like right. blowing up don't, i mean oh. i mentioned that but right, i don't but, think that would fit in this story no, but, like yeah. I'm, I'm not looking for this to be like the hunger games right, or but, something but we were talking about or but what you had mentioned was like even the, the sort of kind of minimal resistance of like somebody like ruining their body in some way mm -hmm. or you know do it smoking and drinking and blah blah, blah like doing things that would damage the organs that they would be donating or whatever um, seems like a thing that would happen more yeah. than it does. And we don't see anything like that or, which is just kind of interesting. And again, I do think that it adds that, that passive acceptance being this kind of horrifying train wreck that you're watching of this, of this universe. But you know, this is, it is, it's an interesting thing to think about. Our other comment on Facebook was from Greg who said, I'll vote for the book. 
This is a similar case to Bridge to Terabithia in that there is nothing majorly wrong with the movie, which is a fine adaptation, but the book is just so good it would be hard for any adaptation to live up to the same standard. Ishiguro's prose is incredible, and there's no way to recreate his work in another medium without losing that artistry. I had a similar feeling about the movie adaptation of The Remains of the Day, also a really good movie, but an amazing book. Which we've done. I, yeah. I don't know if you knew that, Greg, but we have done an episode on The Remains of the Day. So make sure you listen to that if you haven't. Over on Twitter, we had four votes for the book and zero for the movie. Minty to the seventh power. Wow, that's said, real minty. Said, <laughs> that's when you. That's when you. Uh, that's when you drink orange juice after brushing your teeth. Ugh. Minty to the seventh power. Um, Minty said, "This is my favorite book of all time, so I can't not choose the book." Fair enough. But I hey, it's, it's wait, is, is this Kath, is this uh, 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 Carrie Mulligan's account? <laughs> you have to tell us, <laughs> Minty Seven. Are you Carrie Mulligan? <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed some aspects of the movie, especially the aesthetic of it, because I thought it was horrifying how it lures you into the sense that the world is pleasant and beautiful, even though you know the horrifying things going on under the pleasant facade. This movie has provided hundreds of aesthetic screenshots, Dark Academy vibes for Pinterest boards, and inspirational quotes. But holy F, they are harvesting people's organs. They aren't even people in their eyes. Yep. This is true. This is very true. On Instagram, we had four votes for the book and zero for the movie. Tim Wahoo forgot to vote the opposite of me <laughs> this go. time. He voted for the book. I don't know if it's because he really likes the book or if he just made a mistake. Yeah, but... just misclicked. <laughs> gotcha, Tim Wahoo. <laughs> uh, we had one comment that was from Georgie who said, this book is very important to me, so it was always going to be the book over the movie in my mind. In the movie, I miss the scene of Kathy and Tommy looking for her tape in Norfolk and the whole idea of Norfolk being a lost corner. I also miss seeing Madame's reaction to Kathy playing her tape and dancing to the lyrics. They do have a shot in the film of Ruth looking in at Kathy, but it doesn't at all carry the same meaning as having Madame in that scene. Both of these scenes in the book make me cry every time, and I think they are both pivotal in developing Kathy's humanity. I also love in the book the exploration of creation, which is present in the film, but in ways that I personally find less interesting. The children of Hailsham are encouraged to create to prove their humanity, but they can't create in the most basic sense of the word. They can't sexually reproduce. Sorry for being gender essentialist and heteronormative, but bear with me. Mm -hmm. I still can't quite put it succinctly, but Ishiguro plays with this tension between sex and art that I find really interesting, and a response to other Western creation myths like Paradise Lost and Frankenstein. The dimension in the book that when Kathy is dancing to the Baby Never Let Me Go lyric, she's imagining a woman who thought she couldn't have children, but when she does have a baby and doesn't want to let it go is the ultimate heartbreak for me as well as an interesting intellectual response to stories that put sex, especially any sex outside of wedlock, in contrast with heteronormative sex within wedlock that results in offspring at the center of human purpose and morality. Mm. One more thing I loved about the book that I didn't get from the movie. I didn't notice it until this read, and it's my third or maybe even fourth, 
but I think Kathy might be narrating her story to another clone. Oh, interesting. There are just a handful of times that she mentions <clears> it, <throat> but she makes comments like, I don't know how it was where you were, but at Hailsham, um, pages 13, uh. 67, which has the effect of asking the reader to step into the shoes of a fellow clone in the world of donations and completion. Absolutely chilling, and even if you're not consciously noticing it, I think it contributes to how real and terrifying Ishiguro's book world is. Yeah. All that being said, I loved the movie too, and don't know if I could have asked much more of it. Sorry for the essay, but thank you, Brian and Katie, for such a great episode, and thanks to Steve from Arizona for requesting that. Never Let Me Go. I really enjoyed revisiting it. Shout out for your request, Steve. <laughs> Look at that. Thank you, uh, Georgie. That was a fantastic comment. Really appreciated your your uh, your input on that, your your perception of it as a big fan of the book, which apparently we had lots of people who were big yeah, fans of the book. I was not really expecting to yeah. bump into so many fans. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, it, it doesn't surprise me because a, a thing that we hadn't mentioned that I thought was kind of funny that you mentioned to me later is that my mom gave you this book. Yes. Like as a yeah. present. Like, like she, she, I guess, thought what I would enjoy. I don't really remember. It was a long yeah, time it was ago. Several, quite a few years ago at this point. But yeah, I, and I bet 100% guarantee she heard about it on NPR. <laughs> like I guarantee <laughs> she heard about it on NPR and probably read it and then decided to get it for you. But yeah. Yeah. Um, we actually have one other comment from uh, Instagram that I forgot to put in our notes. Oh, okay. Um, it, it's not really feedback on the <laughs> on the movie or the book, but... I wanted to read it anyway. True Grimlock said, though I have nothing to contribute to the film or book discussion, as I have not heard of either, I can confirm you pronounced Norfolk as it is said. I live an hour down the road. It's a really beautiful place. As it is said. So like Norfolk? Yeah. Is that where? Okay. Yeah. Because I was struggling with that in the episode. Yes, remember? no, I, I remember that. I just, well, I just didn't know what, how, they didn't say how to pronounce it. I mean, I said it Norfolk. Okay. In the episode. I guess that's what they're saying. And then I was saying. like, I don't know if that's right. Yeah. So, thank you, True Grimlock. There you go. Um, on threads, we did not have any comments, but we did have one vote for the movie. Okay. Uh, and then on Goodreads, we had no votes for the book. We had one vote for the movie and a comment from Miko, who said, unpopular opinion incoming. Oh, boy. The novel was boring. Wow. I think we had a lot of people who would disagree. But I correctly pegged your unpopular opinion <laughs> based on our feedback. On board to hear the unpopular opinion, though, Miko. Yeah. Um, I had to switch to an audiobook to power through it. I think I mentioned during some other review that I do not care about interpersonal drama, and the book is mostly that, while it's trying to convince me that Kathy is a complex real person with her own personal struggles and joys. I already pretend that is the case with every literary character. Describing the minutiae of her life doesn't really make me sympathize with her more especially considering how passive she is. I think the character's naivete, apathy, and or acceptance of their situation should make me feel for them, but I don't. I'm just bored reading about how she tries to remember if she was looking for a pencil case or whatever when this or that happened before deciding it doesn't actually matter. Huh. The novel didn't challenge my values or present anything new. Were the message, clones are people too, or have you wondered what it means to be human, or enjoy the time you have. I have seen the ideas a thousand times before. 
As a lover of sci-fi, I've read books about post-trans and non-humans, aliens, robots, clones, and who knows what else pondering about the human condition. And I struggle to remember a story where, at the end, I had as little to take from it. I wasn't expecting a grand clone rebellion, but they don't even have a single thought about just running away after living freely for years in the normal world. And I get that this is a deliberate choice by the author, but it doesn't make me feel sad for the characters, but truly makes them feel less than human. And I get that that dehumanization may too be deliberate, but in the end it results in the book saying, this situation is bad, and me answering, yeah, I know, and? I didn't believe that deferrals existed at any point in the story, but the reveal works much better in the movie when Kathy states it herself and isn't simply told by Miss Emily. The book and the movie tell the same story, but I never felt there was exactly more in the book, just more of the same. I didn't find the movie to be a masterpiece, but it was enjoyable and trimmed the story to a more succinct package. I also actually felt something watching the movie, for example, during Ruth's death. I also think Carrie Mulligan has the exact right kind of look of constant sadness for the role. I would agree with that. (laughs) I have to vote for the movie. Um, And then another note here, Miss Lucy was also fired in the book. I didn't find the actual moment, but as Miss Emily puts it during the final conversation, uh, quote, Lucy Wainwright, ah, yes, we had a little trouble with her, Mm. so she had to go. There you go. That is probably why I didn't remember it, because it was not mentioned in the, like, in the moment. Yeah. All right. Interesting. So, yeah, that's definitely a, a, a contrary take to what a lot of people yeah. had to say. And, you know, that's, you know, everybody gets what they get out yep. of it. Um, all about perspective. I would uh, I would not necessarily I would say I would definitely kind of agree that I don't think the book is saying anything and the movie is saying anything particularly groundbreakingly new. Yeah. No, I, just I, think I don't it think does it's it saying in a really anything new. Interesting, heartbreaking fascinating way Mm -hmm. like again i I, yeah it's not like i got done watching it again i compared a lot of some of its messaging to like arrival and stuff and you know which obviously came out after this but like i my point is i don't think it is there's nothing that i got from this that i was like wow that was mind-blowingly like revelate like a revelation or whatever Mm -hmm. And, and also i would agree you know we said in the review i like the movie a lot i don't think it's a masterpiece i don't think it's like you know I, I I think I mentioned uh, like saying it's like an eight you know an eight out of ten or an eight and a half out of ten or something like that uh, once in like a throwaway moment but yeah I, I you know it's not one of those movies that we got done watching and I was just like wow that's one of the that was incredible I just thought it was yeah it's very good mm-hmm. but I can I can totally see that um how it might not you know I could definitely see how it might not do a lot for every single person who yeah. watches it well and I and I you know I think that is why it's good that we have different properties that explore kind of the same messages because, you know, different things are going to work for different people. Yep. All right. So our winner this week was the book with 12 votes to the movies four. So there you go. Movie put up an okay fight. Yeah. Not not too bad. All things considered, Uh, considering, yeah, it seems like most of our comments liked the book more. Most of them, not everything. All right. Like I said, we don't have a learn anything segment this week because, boy, we're already almost gone an hour just on feedback. So we're going to jump right into our preview of next week's book and movie by talking about Beastly, the book. Should you vote for me just because I'm the rich, popular, good-looking guy? Hell yeah! 
My dad always said how much people like you is directly proportional to what you look like, not your thing. What can I say? I'm substance over style. Steer clear of the witch. Wow, looks are important to you. They're important to everyone, except you, clearly. Imagine life without them. You have a year to find someone to love you. What? Or stay like this forever. Like what? As aggressively unattractive outside as you are inside. Beastly is a 2007 novel by American writer Alex Flynn. Uh, it is a retelling of the fairy tale Beauty and the Beast set in modern day New York City uh, told from the viewpoint of the Beast. Um, Flynn apparently researched many versions of Beauty and the Beast in order to write the book um, in which we have taught. We did an episode about Beauty and the Beast and I believe yeah. I talked quite a bit about like kind of the origins of the yes. fairy tale. So yes. if you're interested in learning about that, you can go back and look for our prequel to Beauty, Beauty and, the Beast. and the Beast. Yep. Um, Beastly did win several awards, including the ALA Quick Pick for Reluctant Young Readers, the Voya Editor's Choice, and the IRA slash CBC Young Adults Choice, um, as well as placing on many like, you know, like top 10, yeah. top 20, whatever lists yeah. the year it was published. Uh, it did receive generally favorable critical reviews. Donna Rosenblum of School Library Journal commented, quote, the story is well written and grips readers right from the beginning. And since it's told from the Beast's point of view, it will appeal to boys who might otherwise not pick it up. Nice. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that <laughs> assessment, but I thought it was kind of funny. I only like the Beauty and the Beast that's about the boy. <laughs> well, and I girl. think it's kind of funny because like... It still looks like a quote unquote girl book. Oh yeah, absolutely like, does. Yeah. It kind of looks like a Twilight. Well, book. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't Which come it, across it as like a boy out version. Like, right as Twilight was yeah. like really, really picking up yeah. steam. Um, no, it it does not come across as the boy version of the book no. at all. No. <laughs> uh, a writer for the blog Book Loons stated. Quote, an interesting twist on this contemporary version of Beauty and the Beast is that the story is told from the Beast's point of view. Despite the fact that everyone knows the plot, Flynn's version is well worth reading. And a, our last review quote here, a writer for Sonder Books plays, praised Flynn saying, quote, I love the way Alex Flynn worked in all the elements of the traditional tale. I also loved the believable way she showed us Kyle changing, transforming. And of course, there's the wonderful blooming of true love. All this adds up to a truly delightful book that I hope will become wildly popular with teens. And any adults who will admit enjoying Twilight, <laughs> let me urge you, you to give Beastly a try. Just like you said. So yeah, those are pretty positive reviews. Um, it sounds like positive reviews from 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 outlets that would review this yes. positively <laughs> yes. this isn't like the new york times or you know whoever yes. this isn't like literary <laughs> publications reviewing this and being like what a masterpiece well i'm not literally i mean it's a school, li school library journal yes yes you know but it's still it's it's reviewing a thing where the the 
I imagine school library journal is about kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. youth media and that sort of thing. So they're, they're reviewing it within that framework as opposed to within wider literature as a whole, probably. Right. You know what I mean? They're not comparing this to <laughs> a tale of two cities or whatever. No. And, 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 you know, that would be unfair. I agree. I'm just <laughs> saying it, it, it did strike me that those reviews, this, this review seemed to be mostly coming from places that, you know, right where it makes more sense for anyways i'm not trying to i'm not trying to denigrate beastly i'm just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyways all right let's now learn a little bit more about beastly the film ah! what's with the mask i didn't want to freak you out sure the ski mask didn't freak me out why am i here because you need to be protected she would like it when you are being yourself. What, this off? Or the jerk I was? The man I know you to be. So are we ever gonna, like, really meet? Pretty gruesome, huh? I've seen worse. I'm gonna build her a greenhouse. She's very into roses. This rocks. Thought I'd take the ugly thing and turn it into something not. Do you want to go somewhere with me? I need more time. I might have a shot if I have more Can't. time. Sorry. You were the most beautiful man I have ever met. Beastly is a 2011 film written and directed by Daniel Barnes, who did Phoebe in Wonderland, Won't Back Down, and Cake. The film stars Vanessa Hudgens, Alex Pettifer, Mary-Kate Olsen, Neil Patrick Harris, Lisa Gay Hamilton, Peter Krause, Dakota Johnson, Eric Knudsen, and Regina King. Uh, although I've, I read somewhere that Regina King's cut from the final version of the movie. Oh, I was going to say, I don't remember her being in it. <laughs> Supposedly but... she's in the trailer and some of the marketing stuff, huh. but her scenes ended up being cut from the final part of the movie. I had no idea Dakota Johnson was in this. I, yeah, I, think she, I don't think she like has a like a super role. big role, yeah. but from what I recall. Yeah. The film has a 21% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 40% on Metacritic, and a 5.5 out of 10 on IMDb, and it made $43 million against a budget of $17 million. So this was actually one of CBS Films. Uh, it was a new uh, film studio that had kind of started up. I don't know exactly what year, but this was one of their first films that went into production, uh, and they brought the rights for this film in December of 2007. What year did you say the book came out? 2007. So yeah, the year that came out. Um, <clears throat> with their hope to release the film in late 2008, but there were WGA strikes. I don't mm, know if you remember the WGA I, strikes I do, of 2007, uh, yeah, um, that delayed the project. So, yeah, that's why it came out four years later. To this point, director Daniel Barnes had really kind of only done smaller indie projects uh, and was excited to bring uh, that kind of perspective to this bigger, you know, mm. more mainstream film, okay. saying, quote, it's a very commercial idea that I get to tell in a highly artistic fashion, hmm. which is the worst quote I've well, ever heard. Okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not we'll, the worst we'll quote I've ever heard, but it's, it's like, okay. Um, he would all, he all went on to say, quote, there was this sort of hyper modern version of this story and that it was told from his perspective, uh, which we'd never seen before. And thematically, because it's all about beauty and how you look and inner beauty, that this was such a great story set in the teenage world and for teenagers because it has such a great message to it, end quote. Well, okay, word salad. I, I Again, now, to be fair, a lot of these quotes are pulled from, like, 
press junket interviews or sure. so like he could just be it could, this could have been the end of like a 10 hour press junket and this happened to be the quote that got <laughs> i don't know I, I didn't source to see where it came from specifically but you know uh it could be somebody ran i'm sure there's lots of quotes you could pull from me on this podcast that would sound absolute nonsense <laughs> quoted out of context uh so yeah uh, filming for the film uh, primarily took place in Montreal, uh, though there's some stuff was filmed in Chicago and a few other places. Uh, and I'm going to read this next sentence directly from Wikipedia because it is very funny to me. There is no other context. It is just this one sentence. Hudgens left for Montreal to film following the MTV Movie Awards. Quote, I'm laid back about it, she said. What? I'm not. I, I cannot stress enough that on that is the beginning of a paragraph on the Wikipedia article, and then the next sentence is completely unrelated to that sentence at all. I'm laid back about it. I don't that's, know what. That's got to be pulled from like a larger sentence, right? Like, it has to like be. There's somebody. Some... Somebody was asking her how she felt about like going right from one thing to another or be. something. Yes, but and I, she but was it's like, a, I don't really but care. Sure, and that maybe makes sense in context. But why would you put that in the Wikipedia? It just I doesn't have. There's no. It just means nothing. I was so. I just had to include it, anyways. Um, so I did not realize this. This is actually Mary Kate Olsen's last acting role before she mm. retired. Um, that which I double checked to make sure that that was still the because this was on this was a um, INDB trivia fact mm -hmm. and I was like is that still the case because that are that could have been written I didn't, right you know. yeah uh, but it, it is her last credit on IMDb at least um, is this movie She's so. good for her I wouldn't work either uh, yeah and uh, her role was initially offered to Lindsay Lohan uh, who turned it down okay and she plays the witch right like yeah. the evil yeah. Or I say evil. She plays the witch. All right. And then finally getting into this from views because there wasn't really all that much out there about this movie. Adam Markowitz, uh, writing for Entertainment Weekly, gave it a D minus saying, quote, it's a spectacularly poor judgment in everything from acting to costuming. Uh, Olsen's Harajuku troll get up is scarier than her curse. Puts Beastly right on the cusp of the so bad it's good hall of shame. Uh, for the New York Post, Lou Luminick said, quote, the film more than lives up to its name with ultra campy performances, high glucose direction, laughable dialogue, cheesy effects, and a backlot simulation of a Manhattan street that wouldn't pass muster on an after school special. End quote. Uh, Nick LaSalle for the San Francisco Chronicle uh, said that there are issues with the plot and the script, um, saying that these problems were largely acceptable within the confines of the genre. Uh, and were alleviated by the charm of the actors in the direction. He remarked, quote, Barnes shows imagination and sensitivity in his feature, Phoebe in Wonderland, and he hasn't lost those qualities now that he's entered the world of the big budgets. And then writing for USA Today, Claudia Puig said, quote, this modern reworking of Beauty and the Beast has none of the charm of the Disney animated version. It's dogged by awkward dialogue, a ridiculous plot, and lackluster performances, especially by the leads, end quote. So, I'm so excited about this. Pretty negative reviews across the board. So excited. I, I mean, I my interest was piqued when the person up there said, uh, right on the cusp of so bad it's good hall of shame. I, I was mean, like, that's All right. your wheelhouse. It's my wheelhouse. <laughs> Color me intrigued, but yes, uh, not not well reviewed, that's for sure. Uh, and I didn't really include any. There was a lot of stuff about the makeup, but I didn't mm -hmm. care because it. I, <laughs> oh, but we're gonna talk I know, about we'll the talk makeup. About it more. We're gonna but talk. Apparently, about it. it's like sixty-seven prosthetics or something like that. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, there were some weird facts about like some of the writing that is on. Uh, he has like 
words written yeah. over his eyebrows or something. I can't. Yeah. I, 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 my eyes glazed over reading it, and I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't care. So, oh, and I knew we had a lot of trivia, so I just I was like, or not trivia. We had a lot of feedback, so I was like, I'm gonna keep my notes short this week. Before we wrap up, I want to remind you, you can head over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, Threads, any of those places. Uh, like we mentioned, you know, follow us, interact with us. We love to hear from you. Also, if you want to do us a favor, you can head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to us. Drop us a little five-star rating. Write us a nice little review. We'd appreciate that. And you can also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash lit. Get access to bonus content and other fun stuff. All those benefits are listed out on Patreon. Katie, where can people watch Beastly? Well, as always, you can check with your local library. Or a local video rental store if you've still got one. I don't know what your odds are. Very um, low. But <laughs> probably find the book at your library. I don't yeah. know about the movie. Maybe. Uh, barring that, you can stream this with a subscription to Paramount Plus, Hoopla, or Pluto TV. Which Pluto TV is free. Is it? Yes. Okay. So you may be able to watch it for free. Uh, yeah, there maybe. is ads, I think. But like, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure Pluto TV is just completely free. Um, or if you don't have those subscriptions or you don't want to watch it with ads, you can rent it for around four bucks from Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, or DirecTV. There you go. Uh, this should be fun. I am I am so excited. <laughs> I I have read and watched both of these before. Um, I think I saw this movie in theaters, actually. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure I like... Because at the time, I was still an ed major, mm-hmm. and I was planning to be like like a middle school, high school English teacher, like a lit teacher, um, and I was really like digging into oh. like YA adaption, yeah. so I'm pretty sure I like read this and then like immediately went to go see it, yeah. and at this point, I remember a lot more about the movie than, than the I book, do about yeah. the book, so I'm, I'm excited to <laughs> revisit this with you in tow i i've heard nothing but terrible things about this uh so i can't wait (laughs) and i will in fact have many many thoughts on the makeup and the casting and the choices choices were made absolutely can't wait that's in one week's time we're talking about beastly until that time guys gals my mentor pals and everybody else keep reading books watching movies and and keep keep being being awesome. awesome